Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Alberta Premier Jason Kenney joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Mr. Kenney, thank you very much for the time. And uh, can we begin with the call last evening from Prime Minister Trudeau to the Premiers? What can you tell us, particularly as it pertains to the words from Mr. Trudeau concerning the continuing negative impact on COVID-19 and what he says is a reopening differently across different regions of the provinces in Canada and that the federal government is working very closely with the provinces? That how, is that all happening? Premier Kenny? Yes, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah, Roy, I would say that the provinces are doing a very strong job of handling the public health crisis, um, and it is their responsibility. Uh, they are re- constitutionally responsible for health care and fund over 80% of it, or about 80% of it. So um, the, the we have these weekly conference calls. The Prime Minister, uh, in this call, the federal government seemed to be fairly assertive that there should be uh, some kind of co- federally coordinated approach to reopening. And I think I think the pretty strong consensus amongst premiers was that each region has to go at its own speed in its own way in reopening the economy. Um, and even within different provinces, there will likely be uh, different varying speeds of reopening. I can tell you here in Alberta, we have about 80% of our infections and hospitalized uh, COVID cases in Calgary. So we would look, be looking at, at reopening in other areas of the province more quickly. We think we're in a better position to make that judgment than people in uh, distant Ottawa. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I, I can understand the federal government wanting to keep an eye on how it goes across the country. I, my, my wish is that they had been much more alert to the risk uh, on something that they do control, which is the borders and border security screening. Uh, the best countries in the world in terms of combating the pandemic have been uh, jurisdictions like Taiwan, Singapore, uh, South Korea, uh, that immediately shut down their borders on the first rumors of a strange flu in Hubei, China. They did not wait for the World Health Organization, and goodness knows they did not wait for the People's Republic of China uh, to uh, close their borders and begin uh, measures to combat. And, and as a result, Taiwan, for example, to this day, I think still has only 300 confirmed infections with a population of 28 million people. So I think the federal government missed its responsibility early on here, uh, and we're doing as best we can to, to cope with the pandemic at the provincial level. And thank you for what you're doing for the rest of the country by providing PPE to provinces that need it desperately. Well, thank you. I appreciate you recognizing that, uh, Roy. We, uh, I, you know what? I, I'm proud of the, the common sense that has always been part of Alberta culture, and that we see in, in, in our public service out here. We have some some just brilliant, independent-minded thinkers. They don't wait for uh, some official green light from <laughs> from Ottawa in order to do the right thing. So, for for example, back in in early December. Our head of procurement for our health system, a brilliant man named Mr. Jatindra Prasad, uh, heard rumors from some of his suppliers in China about a, quote, strange flu in Wuhan. 
And based on that information and his spidey sense, his intuition, he immediately started surging orders of personal protective equipment and other supplies. At the same time, and quite uncoordinated, unrelated, a brilliant uh, uh, scientist who runs our precision laboratory system here uh, heard the same rumors in December and began surging orders for reagent testing swabs and began preparing uh, for all, uh, getting every bit of information he could on influenzas emanating from China. And so as soon as it hit, we were ahead of the entire world on testing, and I think certainly well ahead of Canada on equipment. And as I said, I wasn't going to sit on warehouses of surplus equipment while we watched potentially our fellow Canadians in Quebec and Ontario uh, dying because of a lack of it. So we, we did send uh, millions of units out there, as well as 75 ventilators that we've shared with Ontario and Quebec. Well, thank you again uh, for what you've done. And I would imagine the federal government might have been aware of the information in uh, November or December as well and uh, what well, they I will, did. I will tell you this. We, we, we've offered, because we have a big health system, uh, one unitary system and a really strong procurement system, we offered to, to basically be a conduit for the rest of the country because we've got long-term deep relationships with global suppliers and quite diversified supply chains whereas the Public Health Agency of Canada is not really an operational agency on a regular basis. So they're trying to get in there with the rest of the world to, to, to order supplies when they don't have the infrastructure we do. But, but whatever, I guess that's the federal government's choice. So they said no thank you. Essentially, yeah. I'd like to come back to that if we have a moment uh, at the end of the interview, Premier, but we have limited time. I do appreciate you coming on the program as regularly as you do. It's important that we hear you, the people of Alberta hear you, on the show and the people across the country. What is the state of the Alberta economy today, particularly after what happened to oil prices in recent days? It is, uh, I can't find the words to really describe the economic adversity we are going into Partly, it's a triple threat, as I say, uh, five years of economic weakness uh, because of the uh, commodity price collapse. And I would argue a lot of bad, uh, highly politicized policies that hammered our oil and gas industry over the past five years. And then the global downturn of coronavirus that everybody in Canada is dealing with. But then on top of that, a the, the largest collapse in oil prices in modern history. Um, we, uh, you know, at, at, at w, Western Canada Select Oil, which is our key product, has traded in negative prices on and off this past week, bouncing around recently two, three dollars a barrel. Like you can buy, it's it's more, it's cheaper than a cup of coffee in most many places. And the consequences, I just cannot describe how bad this is tough this is going to be. I expect, as I've said to you before, um, perhaps 25% unemployment for much of this year here. That doesn't include the many people who will just leave the labor market or, heaven forbid, leave the province. I, I don't. Look, I'm, I'm not trying to be um, a pessimist. I am by nature an optimist, but I do need our people here to understand the challenging times we're going through. And I just re- remind our fellow Canadians, and, and, and Roy, I want to thank you for always being a, a, a champion of the Canadian energy sector, uh, living and broadcasting out of Ontario, a fellow who spent a lot of time in Quebec. You understand the whole country, and you understand that that much of Canada's prosperity depends on this, that uh, this is an industry that has paid $360 billion in taxes and and revenues to governments in the past 18 years. It employs directly or indirectly half a million Canadians and people in every province. The manufacturing sector in central Canada Canada produces an enormous amount of equipment for the oil sands, for example. And... um, we're talking to the largest subsector of the Canadian economy, by far our largest export industry. And by the way, 
If if people in downtown Toronto think they're immune from the crisis here, well, I want to remind them that a third of Bay Street's investments uh, and the bank's loans are tied up with the Canadian energy sector. So as goes Alberta's energy sector, so goes Bay Street, so goes the core of the Canadian economy. This is a national crisis, not just an Alberta one. You have announced a senior Alberta representative to Washington. Uh, Would you explain... Uh, the role of your representative, and, and is your decision and action a direct commentary on a lack of confidence in the federal government and Mr. Trudeau to protect the interests of Albertans and the oil and gas industries? Well, Roy, the, uh, this is a position that's existed for 25 years, and uh, I, however, I am appointing a, a senior formerly elected person who I think will have a uniquely good profile in, in Washington. James Rajat was a Alberta MP for 15 years. He was chairman of the House of Commons Industry and Finance Committees. He chaired the Finance Committee during the global financial crisis in 2007 and 8. So he's been through something a bit like this uh, in a leadership position. And uh, he also uh, chaired, I believe, the Canada-U.S. Parliamentary Group. So he had very has very good connections in Washington. And um, this is a critical moment for us, given what's happening to the energy uh, markets and, and uh, industry. Um, I've been on the phone, as have my husband, my energy minister, pardon me, with an, uh, over uh, probably over two dozen members of the United States Senate, Congress, with governors, with members of the, of the U.S. cabinet, uh, trying to develop a coordinated North America energy policy to save the, the industry for the future. And so we need somebody on the ground. We've also, as you know, invested in ensuring the construction of the Keystone XL pipeline that will, when completed in 2023, allow to ship uh, nearly 900,000 additional barrels of Alberta oil to U.S. markets, representing a future for the industry. Because I, I'll tell you one thing on your question. I appreciate the federal government uh, took over the Trans Mountain Project after uh, political indecision had driven a private company out of the country. However, I'm not prepared to bet the future of Alberta on that one project. We need to hedge against it. That's Keystone XL. And we need our own voice in Ottawa, sorry, in Washington. Uh, that can help uh, advance that project. I will say this, uh, the Canadian, the newly confirmed Canadian ambassador to Washington, Kirsten Hillman, is doing a very strong job. She grew up in Alberta. She understands the importance of the industry. And I'm working well with Christia Freeland on these issues. She has no uh, illusions about the nature of the Russian regime or the OPEC dictatorships. And so uh, on the foreign policy side of this, I'm finding a good, a good ally in the federal government. It's good to know that because, uh, again, our energy sector just supplies so much of our GDP, and it just creates so much money and so much revenue for a federal government that's going to find itself in a in a huge amount of debt, as so many governments will around the world. But we have options. We have an ethically clean energy sector, and we should be taking full advantage. Um, you've also said, though, if I understand this correctly, that... Uh, the the Alberta representative in uh, in in BC, Mr. Rajat, is not going to be uh, meeting with uh, politicians in the United States who are advocating for a transition away from fossil fuels. Well, he might meet with them, and it's important to explain our position. But I was asked a question yesterday uh, by a reporter who bizarrely was from Calgary, and it sounded like he was from I don't know. Uh, Somewhere else, uh, he he um, wanted to know if we were instead going to decide to uh, end, effectively end the Canadian oil and gas industry and embrace the so-called Green New Deal, uh, which is an idea promoted by uh, socialist U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders, um, which effectively is, is to spend trillions of dollars uh, to try to replace the primary source of energy in the modern economy with 
um, windmills and, and, and solar panels. It, it scientifically, in terms of just the basic engineering and the basic economics, it, it, it makes absolutely no sense. But my point was simply this, uh, that, that uh, objective predictions about energy consumption say that by 2040, two decades from now, there will be somewhere between 70 million barrels of oil consumed a day and 110 million barrels a day. Let's call it 90 in the middle. Well, that's just off where it has been in recent years. And my point is this. In that world, yes, by the way, in the interim, we will continue to to see a development of, of other sources of energy. We've seen a huge in, increase in, in wind and solar since I became premier with zero subsidies just on a market basis. And that's fine. But in that world where there is still huge global oil consumption, I would rather that this rights-respecting market democracy with the highest environmental and human rights standards in the world um, be a major supplier rather than abandoning global energy markets to the world's worst regimes. That is what the Green New Deal concept effectively would do. It would not reduce global production uh, or consumption of hydrocarbon energy. It would simply reduce it from democracies and market-based economies like Canada. That's not good for the world. It's not good for the environment. Uh, one or two more quick questions for you, and if I can come back to COVID-19. And the question about uh, about you know how you are handling this issue in Alberta and what you've done for the country, and what you've had to say, what you said to us today about your relative concerns about the federal government's actions or their interest in what Alberta can do, uh, is your confidence in the Public Health Agency of Canada waning? And uh, based on advice given by Dr. Tam and echoed by the Prime Minister, do you have concerns about the PHAC? Well, I'm sure there's a lot of very competent and sincere. Uh, people there, and uh, I don't want to criticize them personally. I, I will say that I think Canada was naive uh, when we uh, listened to misinformation emanating from the uh, PRC and the World Health Organization well into March, and when other close, when neighbors uh, close to China who understand the nature of that regime uh, who have had better, bigger experience with uh, pandemics emanating from China they did not wait for, uh, you know, the WHO to confirm what should have been obvious to anybody, to, be, to, to confirm the, the rumors that were emanating from whistleblowers in the Chinese medical community. And so Taiwan, South Korea, Singapore, and others, New Zealand, they shut their borders uh, as, uh, in, in January uh, and, and said we had... Uh, voices here in Canada saying that would uh, attacking people for even suggesting we do such a thing. And I, I think that was, un let's, let me be diplomatic and say, I think that was unfortunate. And I hope that there is a serious, uh, look, we've all got to focus right now on combating the pandemic as it exists in Canada, rather than getting into, um, uh, into any kind of, uh, uh, argument about mistakes that have been made. There will be plenty of time when this is all done to assess those mistakes. But I do believe there needs to be a, a serious account, moment of accountability for the World Health Organization and the PRC when this is all done. And uh, finally, the, there is no time to waste as far as taking a full advantage of our opportunities with the with the energy sector, with the oil sector in Alberta, and uh, we should be doing that on a national level because ultimately we're all going to benefit from it. Uh, even the Premier of Quebec will admit that, I think. Yeah, and, and 
I, I do want to say this, that, that, that the premiers across the country have been very strong in understanding the, the national implications of the crisis in the Canadian energy sector. And, and they have uh, stood behind our call for uh, extraordinary measures uh, to, to, to provide for a future of the energy industry, much like Canada did for the central Canadian auto manufacturing sector during the global financial crisis 12 years ago, standing behind the auto companies and their workers. Uh, and also, by the way, Roy, in 2008, during that crisis, that big recession, the one thing that really kept the Canadian economy uh, ticking and, and let us perform more strongly than, than pretty much any major de de developed economy was the Canadian energy sector performing very strongly right. at that time. So we've always been there for Canada, and we hope Canada will be there for us at this point. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.